uh, I made I made this statement that I hate when pastors say, and then I said it, and I'm going to say it again just because it's stupid and funny. Uh, but uh, I, I said this. I said um, I said, hey, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit first, and then I'm going to actually keep talking to you. Right? Preachers are like, hey, I'm going to talk to you for just a little bit, and then I'm going to keep talking to you, basically. But that's what I want to do for just a second. Let me just share a little bit of what's going on in my life, and then we'll dig into scripture. Um, this past week, a couple Fridays ago, we had the celebration of life service for Cable Sheehan, who you know is just a, uh, an amazing part of this church, and she went on to be with the Lord, and Ryan's here today, and we didn't talk about me sharing any of this, but this has been something that's just been on my heart and stirring, and God's been revealing. But amazing family. I'll give you a tiny, tiny background that's like just unbelievably unfair to the whole story. I'm going to give you just a tiny part of it, but um, Cable I've known for like 20 years. We were on staff together at Res Life Church, and much of her thumbprint is actually all over this building. The banners that hang out by the prayer room she designed, the banners that are uh, by the elevator she designed, a bunch of our merch that you wear she designed. Just incredible artist and just person and being and, and singer and just brilliant person and, and such a great person. So known her for a long time. And her story, again, the fast forward version is... Um, just even she's been through so much and always giving glory to God, always positive attitude, never played the victim, just somebody you want to be around. When she was in college, um, she was walking and somebody dropped, I can't remember if it was a, a, a bottle or a can from a very high story and it hit her in the head. Uh, damaging her skull and she's laying on the ground and paramedics all had to come and it could have killed her. Uh, but God brought her through that in an amazing way. And then shortly after in her life, she uh, had brain cancer. She had gotten cancer and um, God did amazing miracles. And many of you have seen, I think it's one of our highest viewed media pieces we have. She did a You Say series and talked all about that and changed so many people's life through that story. And, um, and her and Ryan just led so brilliantly um, through that. And then God healed her and, and, and did an amazing work, but then later the cancer came back. Many of you know that we've been praying and standing with that family who, again, led just brilliantly. A couple months ago or several months ago, she passed away. But her life, the Bible says this, that our lives are living epistles. Everybody's life in here is telling a story. And it's called to be a story of the goodness of God. Her story is an amazing story of the goodness and the greatness of God through trials, through struggle, through sickness, through all the things. She wrote an amazing story. So now here we are. We're at her celebration of life service and it was at Ridge Point Church and they uh, kind of had me off side, side stage. I didn't get to be down with everybody. Um, it was just easier for me to come back and forth with what I was doing. I, I like to worship with, with people. And, um, but I'm on the side and the band's right here, and, and, you know, Josh Cannon, who is just playing guitar here, he's right here with me, just playing and leading. And then Dave Williams, one of our guitar players, and Ben Porter, who I've known for 20 years, and the drummer, uh, also a brother and sister of ours that we all grew up with. His name's Dustin, and he's playing, and other ministers from all over the place. And there was just this amazing coming together of people who knew each other and didn't know each other, but we were all brothers and sisters in Christ celebrating the assurance that Cable had of her eternity with our Savior. Yeah. And preachers call the pulpit, I know this isn't a pulpit, this is like Ikea or something, but <laughs> this pulpit, they call it the pulpit, because for preachers, a lot of times you get up the pit of people, you got to pull from them. 
You gotta work hard. You gotta break the week off them. You gotta help them get over the things that are on them. And, and they don't even, you know, people don't even know it, all the heaviness and weirdness that they're bringing. So it's the, it's the pulpit. But sometimes you get up here and it's like the push pit. You guys are, you're pushing and you're receiving and, and hearts are soft. And it's, and, and Cable's celebration of life, it was crazy how anointed and powerful and like just the presence of God. It's like someone could sneeze and you'd be like, wow, that blessed me. You know, it's like, it was, and that's because of the life that she lived, the epistle that she was. And it, so it got me thinking so much about eternity and the story we tell. And there, and, you know, I'm in these pastors groups. This is what really kind of started t- stirring on my heart uh, over the next several days from there. And we were away on vacation and drove down for that and then went back up to camping. But just kept stirring in my heart is, is, is here's, here's the thing about this. I'm in these pastors groups. And pastors are always fighting about stuff. You know, pastors always, uh, it's congregation. They complain too much. Congregation fights too much. And I'm in these pastor groups. Like, you guys bicker and fight just as much as your congregation does. But I'm in these groups, and you got guys over here like, it's about teaching. It's about preaching the word. That's how we're going to transform communities. It all comes down to the preached word. And you got other people over here like, no, no, no. It's all about a spirit-filled atmosphere. It's about worship and the prophetic and the signs and the gifts. And, you know, they're arguing for this. And some people, no, it's discipleship. Sunday morning is not the end all. We have to have classes and discipleship and make sure. And, and, and some are like, no, we got we to gotta beat them with the vision. We got to make sure they know the vision and get tattoos. And they got to know the vision. You know, like, and, and so everybody has their big like, take on it all. You know? And the truth is, it's all of that. It is all of that. But I remember sitting there watching just this worship and hearing the stories of, of Cable's life and who she impacted and just the wake of her life. I remember sitting there thinking, like, that's it. And preaching and all that kind of stuff is matter. But a life lived, as a living epistle, somebody who's saying, I'm like, I'm taking up my cross and it's not me that live, it's Christ that live in me. That is the way we transform communities. Can I get an amen? That's why the anointing can be high and can be strong because the wake of that. And so uh, God kept just speaking to me throughout the week and uh, we were riding Sidhu's. We're blessed to be up in uh, the Charlevoix area on Lake Charlevoix. So we're riding these sea doos And one of the fun things about riding a sea doo is, you know, you come in fast and then you let off the throttle. You get to come in hot and let off the throttle. But then behind you is like the swirling wake, right, that catches up to you. And it's like bubbles and air and swirling and all this like stuff comes in behind you. The wake that you've made, the waves and the wake and the swirling water. I'm telling you right now, today and in the future, Cable is getting to see the wake that her life created. We're called to make a wake. That's what it's about, is that we live in such a way that we're eternally minded, we're eternity minded, that we live in such a way that, that when our time comes, there's such a, we're going to come in hot to heaven, but right behind us is this wake of people. Are you with me? And everybody says, well, hold on, pastor, isn't it, isn't it God who leads people to repentance? A hundred percent. It is God who moves on people's heart and leads us to repentance. And it is him who does that. But the scripture says that we co-labor with God. We live in such a way that we create this wake with God that's going to bring people in. Are you with me today? So I thought about this. The best platform for the gospel is a life lived eternity or eternally minded. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts. We're living in this time and it's beautiful and what God gave us is beautiful in our jobs and our careers and our families and our homes. All of this time that God has given us is beautiful and it's amazing. Yet he's given us a desire and put something in our heart for that there is more. There's an eternity and God's put it in our heart. First Peter 2 talks about it this way. It says that you are like foreigners 
strangers in this world. Like you're here, but it's not your home. You're a foreigner, you're a stranger. This, this is where you are, but it's not where you're meant to be. Uh, it's like, again, camping. We were camping. Like, you're so excited to go camping. You're like, we're going camping. You pack everything up. And you're excited to go there. And then you're camping. And then you start to get close to the end of the trip. And you're like, hey, it's cool that we're here. But boy, you know what? I like being where I like belong. In a nice bed. In a hot shower. <laughs> right? Not that weird camping person next to you. Kenny's. <laughs> but, it's like, but it's like, you know, you can say, hey, I'm here right now. But I know that there's something else for me. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? And every person has that on the inside. Do you know that Jesus talked about money and eternity more than he talked about anything else in Scripture? He didn't get up there and tell you how to go to church and have a Bible study and how to read the Greek and do the Hebrew. He didn't tell you. He's like, hey, man, money, because that's where your heart is. You know, he's talking about that. But the other thing he said, he said, hey, guess what? It's important that you have a concept and an understanding and, and an importance on eternity. Here's why it matters. Because what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live today. If we don't know anything about the afterlife, if we don't know anything about how God's going to create a place for us and, and his desire is to be with us in eternity, if we don't know anything about that at all, then you probably won't live with an urgency for eternity. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above not on earthly things. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, it should not be, hey, how are we going to climb the ladder? How are we going to make more money? How are we going to move into the bigger neighborhood? We wake up and we say, hey, you know what? How can I make a wake for eternity? Are you with me today? Uh, I know some people uh, growing up, this is an old preacher statement, they would say, there's so many people out there that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I grew up in church where people walk around like, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just take us out of here. Just come, come quickly. And as a young person, I remember thinking like, that's lame. We got, we got life to live. Don't burn the day. We got stuff to do. What are you talking about? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now that I'm getting old and I see this stuff going on in the world, I get up like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But there are some people, they're here on earth. They got saved. They got set free. They're, they're spirit filled. They're, they're living in the goodness of God. And yet they're just waiting around for their time to go to heaven. They're no earthly good because they're just so looking in the sweet by and by. Right. We even have songs that we've made up that are sort of this, well, someday when we get to get out of here. I know you guys love it when I sing, but I'm going to ask for your participation. I would love to give a solo, but I'm asking for community participation this morning. If you're watching online, you can do it in your place, your car, your workspace, wherever you are right now. No one will think that's weird. But there's a song, a very famous song called I'll Fly Away. And it goes, I'll fly away. I'll fly away. It's weird. It happened in first service. The saints sang and the worship leader laughed. Like, like we're eternally minded. I don't know what you're laughing at. But it says, when I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll. But then this is where it goes wrong. It says, just a few more weary days and then a few more weary days. It's like the, the, the mindset is like, someday we get to fly away. But right now, we're, we're going to just run the clock out. Oh, these weary days. And I know they can be weary days. And we can dream of being and flying away. I get that. But the scripture says that our mindset should be, thy kingdom come where? Here. We got work to do. 
We got a mission. We got something that we can thrive in. So yeah, one day we fly away. But right now we're going to create a wake and we're going to make a space and we're going to try to be, bring people with us. Are you with me today? Thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Be so heavenly minded. We got to be some people that are so heavenly minded that we actually do some earthly good. I'm so set on eternity and what that means and what God has for me that I'm going to do all that it takes to get people in this wake. It's funny, we do it in the natural, right? You go to a new restaurant, you're like, that was amazing. And so you walk around town being like, you guys got to know about this. You got to know about this. I, your, your mindset and how great that thing is, you got to let people know about it. How come we don't do that in the kingdom? If he saved you, if he set you free, if he restored your marriage, don't you think that's something you should walk around and talk about? I know also on the flip side of it all, I know a lot of people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. I'll say it again. I know a lot of people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. You can spend your life on earthly things or spend your life on eternal things. It's amazing how much time we spend on this small moment that we've been given called life. Scripture talks about how life is just a vapor. It's like if you're boiling water and you take the top off and for one quick second, steam goes up and then it's gone. Scripture's telling you that's what life is. But then the scripture is telling us, but eternity is like an endless ocean. Imagine that you sat down with a consultant and you were trying to decide what to put your energy and your emphasis into. And you sit down with this person and the guy slips a paper over here and he says, okay, on this side, you can put all your energy and effort and all your desire and passion and all your zeal into this. It's a vapor, real small, real short, and then gone. Or you can take that same energy, effort, and zeal, and you can put it into the endless ocean of eternity. I mean, it would be pretty idiotic to put all of your investment into the vapor. But isn't it amazing every single day, many of us get up and we just think about ourselves and the things and the neighborhood and the career, and we think about the here now of the vapor. Are you with me? If you've ever gone, this is kind of a weird example, but I was thinking about this because um, we just did this camping if you've ever gone away, maybe stayed at a hotel or something, you bought groceries for that place, or in our case, it was camping, and we like buy all this stuff, and you try to time it out to be like the duration that you're there, because you can't take all this home, and you can't do all this kind of stuff, and so you, you buy, you invest for like just this time. It'd be crazy for us to go to a place and, and you know, we're flying, we got to get on the airplane, but before that, we went to Sam's Club and got the 300 pack and put all of this in this hour, knowing that it's limited. How I many you know what I'm talking about? We do that here on earth. Oh, you know what I care about? I care about entertainment. And I care about knowing about this. And I care. And we put all of it in the vapor. When God is saying, it's a much bigger picture. Are you with me today? Even the Great Commission. We know Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he's teaching, he's training, he's leading the disciples about how to live. And he, even the Great Commission, he says, listen, here's what you need to know. Here's what it's about. Go into the highways and byways. Go into all the world and do what? Make it matter for eternity. He didn't tell him about the vapor. He didn't so go out and say, hey, make sure you live your best vapor life. And then, no, he said, you go out and you preach and you reach people because eternity matters. The reality is, we know this, promise, or tomorrow is promised to no man. Every three seconds, or every, three people die every second. So in the amount of time that it just took me to say that, three people have died. 180 people every minute will die. 11,000 people will die in the one hour you're in church. Or two hours if Tommy Pinkerton's preaching. But either way, 240,000 people will die in a day. These are all rough and estimates. 
but tomorrow is promised to no man. That's the vapor that we're talking about. And Mark 8, 36 says it this way in the New King James, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, spends his whole life on all the things of the world, and loses his soul? But the world is trying to preach to you self-care, take care of self. And there's truths to that and realities to that, but the world is like, hey, right now, here, take care of you, take care of self. And Jesus' way is like, hey, actually, take up your cross and serve and, and be that bridge to eternity co-labor with Christ. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. The church has done such a bad job trying to be sort of one-dimensional. Uh, it's like a basketball player. Let's say there's this professional athlete. He's in the NBA and he gets his contract and he says, okay, I'm on the team. Now he lets everybody know, hey, I'm a professional athlete and I'm a basketball player. And uh, just so you know, I'm going to just work on my dribbling and my boxing out. I'm going to box people out and my dribble. Um, I'm going to just, that's what I'm going to work on. I'm going to be really good at, but I'm never going to take a shot. Never once am I going to try to take a shot. How idiotic is it? Not once am I going to try to put a point on the board. I'm just going to work on boxing out and dribbling. Boxing out, dribbling. I'm never going to try to take a shot. That's what the church seems to be doing in the day and age that we're living in. We love to know the worship songs. We love to come to church. We love to go to the Bible study. But it seems like we're doing a bad job taking the shot at evangelism and trying to get points on the board, trying to move people from where they are to a life with Christ. Tell me what I'm talking about. Statistically, they say the average American Christian will share their faith with one person a year. That's it. God's changed you, saved you, set you free. And yet we're only evangelizing at a one person rate. Do you know, statistically and analytically, if somebody were to evangelize at just the one person a year rate, it wouldn't be a good enough pace for us to turn the backsliding that is in the world. We got to do better. We have to be eternally minded. How many are with me? Yeah. I shared this at Cable's Life Celebration, but there's this story of this little boy. He's flying a kite. It's a foggy day, and so there's a lot going on, but uh, he's got this kite going, and a man walks up to him and says, hey, what are you doing with that rope? And he says, I'm flying a kite. And he said, well, I can't see the kite. And he said, no, I'm flying a kite. He said, well, how do you know that it's there? How do you know that the kite is there? He said, oh, I know it's there because I can feel its tug. And the same thing is on the inside of every person. Heaven has a tug on our hearts. We go through life and we acquire some things and we maybe even accomplish some things, but it just doesn't quite satisfy as something that's eternal, which is a life in Christ. Are you with me? Tug for eternal purpose. What's interesting is if you look at the millennials and Gen Z and some of the young generation, they're very cause-driven. It's like the enemy has hijacked this desire to live for something eternal. This young generation, they'll buy Tom's shoes. Tom's, Tom's shoes, that's a brand. Somebody's like, who's Tom? <laughs> it's a brand, Tom's shoes. The reason they buy those is because it helps provide this over here. Or they'll go over and they'll buy from this company because it provides clean drinking water. over there. There's a desire to be connected to something that has a lasting impact. But truly, God put on the inside of them the desire to fight for the eternal, eternity. Are you with me? Augustine wrote it this way, thou made us for thyself and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. There is a desire in us, a craving in us, and nothing will ever satisfy it until we're in Christ, till we've made that connection to the thing that's eternal. That's why when we reach our goals, it doesn't fully satisfy. That's when we get to a certain amount of money that we wanted to save or that certain house or have that certain thing. It never fully satisfied because we're only satisfied in him. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way because he understood eternity, but also being earthly minded. He said, uh, Paul said this in Philippians 1 in the New Living. He said this, I'm torn between two desires. 
I long to go and be with, with Christ, which would be far better for me. He longed to be with Christ, which he said is, would be far better for me. The reason he said that is because he was in the ministry. It'd be so much better if I went to heaven. <laughs> but then he says this, but for your sakes, it would be better that I continue to live. He was heavenly minded, but he understand that he had an earthly mission. Uh, one day in the sweet by and by, we'll fly away. We want to do that. But right now, we need to make a wake. We need to come in hot and we need to bring people with us. Are you with me today? What's amazing about this too is like, this is God's idea. Heaven, eternity. It's not like, think about this. It's not like God was like, hey, I'm going to create these people and I'm going to put out mankind and they're going to be, and then all of a sudden God went, oh no, they're going to die and we got to do something with them. He's like, hmm, well, you know, we got that, like, that weird shed over there called heaven. Let's put those guys over there when they die. No, God, the creator of heaven and earth, was like, hey, when you die, if you choose me and you give your life to me and you lay down your life and you say, he said, guess where you're going to be? You're going to be with me. That's insane. He didn't make us our own neighborhood. He actually, even to the thief on the cross, he said, hey, guess what? When you choose me and you repent of your sins and you put your faith, hope, and trust in me, he said, do you know where you're going to be? You know what he said to the thief? He said, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's where I want you to be. I've created heaven for you. It's my idea for you. First Corinthians 2, 9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love them. God has prepared an amazing afterlife in eternity for you if you choose it. I love that it says you can't conceive it. You can't even comprehend it. I want you to think about your best days. Whatever are your highest highs. Maybe it's you come home and the kids run up to you. And they're so excited to see you. And they say, mom, dad, or the grandkids run up to you. And you're like, this is it. This is the highest high. Or maybe for you, it's Christmas morning. Everyone's gathered around. You're opening it. And you go, this is, this is heaven. This is the highest high right here. Or maybe you're out on the lake and you see a sunset and God's brilliance. And you think to yourself, God is so amazing. This is like heaven on earth. This is, you can't, those don't even compare. You can't even conceive what heaven is going to be like. Scripture tells us you can't even begin to believe and understand what it's going to be like. I know in a couple weeks at the big house at the University of Michigan, they're going to play that hail to the victors. And that team's going to run out and hit the banner. And we're all going to say, this is heaven. Football's back. Amen. But Psalm says it this way, Psalm 8410, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You can take a thousand days of your highest high, and it doesn't even compare to one day in the presence of God in eternity in heaven. Are you with me? Yeah. Scripture talks about how there's new senses. There's going to be things in heaven you don't even know about. Imagine if you've never seen water. You've never seen water at all. Someone comes up to you like, oh yeah, it's water. It's like liquid. You'd be like, what? Water. And then we just throw you off a boat. You'd be like terrified, of course. <laughs> But you'd be like, what is all of this? We're going to have those experiences in heaven. Imagine if you never heard music, never heard music at all. And all of a sudden we, we brought you and, and, and we put you in front of a symphony. And all of a sudden you started playing just the most brilliant music. You'd be like, wow, there, there's new things and new experiences in heaven. What if you've never tasted before? You guys remember COVID? <laughs> Some of you are like, <laughs> you're traumatic. You never tasted before never tasted before. And then all of a sudden I brought you a pineapple pizza and I said, eat this. Like, what is this? Ugh. You would hate it. Cody tried to get me to eat pineapple pizza this weekend. And I was like, Cody, I'm not a backslider and you should get behind me. So I didn't eat it. But heaven, heaven, things you've never even, heaven, God has prepared for you. 
Scripture says in Psalm 16:11, "You will fill says you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand." He created this place for you. I thought about this that literally God, again as I mentioned, went and prepared a place for you. It's just not just some random. Imagine how much emphasis and energy you put into getting a gift for your kids. I've prepared this gift for them. They're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. That's how heaven is right now, cheering us on to eternity with him. We can't talk about heaven, though, and we can't talk about eternity, and we can't talk about making a great wake that's going to create people and bring people into a place of eternity. We can't talk about that without a place called hell. Because if one is true, we know the other is true, this place called hell. The reality about hell is that hell was not made for mankind. Hell was created for the devil and for his fallen angels, the demons. But the reality about hell is this. While hell was not created for mankind, you do have the ability to choose to go there. God's desire is not for anyone to go to hell, but he's given you the free will to decide to go there. Is hell important? Well, this is how important it is. We see that Jesus spoke of hell 33 times. 32 of the times he talks about it as a place of fire. Listen to this. 90% of what we know about hell comes from Jesus specifically himself. What's interesting is that in our modern culture, we've seemed to somehow cartoon it or take the danger or the emphasis or the regard. I don't want to say the respect or the reverence of hell, but it's almost that. I'm using the word regard, but hell deserves a high level of regard and caution because it is a place that you would never want anyone to experience. It's a place that God doesn't want any of his creation to experience. Uh, I thought about it like this, and this is a terrible example, but it's the best I got. Imagine that you have like a wood chipper in your backyard. So you're running tree limbs through there and it's chopping things up and those things have the ability to chop up anything. You got this wood chipper sitting in the backyard. How many of you know, because you have such a regard for the danger and the ability for something horrible to happen with that, that how many of you know you're doing all that you can to make sure all the safety things are around and there's a fence put around it before the kids go out. You're making sure at all costs, nobody goes to that. That needs to be the regard at which we consider hell. Oh, hell is such a terrible place. It's such a horrible thing. It's not created for any of us. You can choose to go there, but we don't want you to be anywhere near that place called hell. How many are with me? But the enemy does a great job of perverting and distorting what's something that should be this. The enemy turns it into this. And so hell is an intense thing that we should avoid. And so what's the enemy done? He's perverted this regard toward hell and he's cartooned it. Oh, a little hell, no big deal. And we got the little devil on the shoulder and it's not a big deal. And, and so this regard, and, and so we say things like, and I'm not being vulgar, it's just, we just have, we've taken hell and we've put it in this position of like, hell, I don't know. We just say it like that. Or we say, well, that was a hell of a shot. But you would never say cancer if I know. Because there's such like a regard. We know the pain. We know the thing of people who've experienced that. You would never say, well, that was a 9-11 of a shot. Why? Because the regard that you have toward that day and the pain and the devastation. And so the enemy's done a great job trying to normalize hell in the satanic. What have we seen in our music? You look at the Grammys with Sam Smith. Just a few years, years ago, we had little Nas X. He went from kind of an easy listening old town road to all of a sudden he drops a song with shoes where in this song and in this music video, he descends into hell and gives a lap dance to the devil. He also created a shoe that on them have 666. 
and creates this music video. Now we think, ah, oh, that's probably just for the weird people that are into that. In a three-day period, 20 million people viewed that music video, watching all of that and hearing that message. Now, to give comparison, the most viewed Christian YouTube song, and it was when I checked it, it was already been out for 15 months, was the Carrie Job song, uh, The Blessing, huge song. Uh, it got 45 million views, I'm sorry, 40 million views in a 15-month period. And this satanic little Nas X in three days caught up halfway. Uh, I, even Taylor Swift, I was, my daughter's on the Taylor Swift kick. She's trying to be like everybody else. And I'm like, oh, Taylor Swift, she's cool. I, I, I know, marry me, Romeo, come on, that's all good music, right? And I started listening to the newer stuff. And then her new music, she's got her satanic mask on, and he's trying to normalize the satanic. Now, if I can be honest, the reason that it's happening is because the church has stopped talking about satanic and hell and heaven and repentance. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? So if it's actually the church's fault more than it is the media's fault. But what am I trying to say? If the enemy can get you to take and normalize the satanic and hell and not see it as a big deal, then he's going to win the wake. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? But here's the reality of hell, and this is what people don't like to talk about. You choose hell. You live a life, God gave you a free will. And all throughout scripture, it's backed up that hell, if that's your eternal destination, that would only be by way of your choosing. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Shut out from the glory of heaven and paradise and that place that he created for you. Hell, in reality, if you're somebody who lives far from God and resists the gospel and the goodness of God, hell is really just a greater measure of what you wanted on earth, which is nothing to do with God. You live this life where you say, I don't care about church and Christians and what God is doing. I don't care. You've lived a life saying, I don't want anything to do with God. And then you get that as your reward, a life called hell away from God. Psalm 917 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God. One translation says, or the nations that ignore God. God, I want nothing to do with you. And God says, that's your choice. You chose this. Hell is just like heaven. It's infinitely and indescribably worse than you can imagine. The Greek word for Gehenna is where we get hell. It's the Greek word Gehenna, and it means these things, burning flesh, smoke, fire, total isolation, weeping, gnashing of teeth, endless screams. It's described as having maggots and worms. Every nightmare that you've ever had, it's that but forever. I'm talking about those nightmares where you wake up in pure terror and you're sweaty and you thought it was so, it is that, but it's forever. And it's not God's desire for you. Can I get amen today? We see in Luke 16, we get an account of somebody who found themselves in hell. The scripture refers to him as the rich man. It says the rich man, while he was in this torment, was fully conscious. He wasn't dreaming. He, he, he wasn't hallucinating. He didn't microdose. He wasn't on mushrooms. He wasn't doing his thing. He was fully conscious and aware of this place that he was in. His eternal destiny, he also re realized, was irrevocably fixed. Meaning this, this was it for him and he understood that. Scripture teaches us that he knew what he was experiencing was just for his life. Meaning deserved. He didn't sit there and say, how could this happen? How did I find myself here? When he found himself in that place, he thought to himself, 
I chose this. Based on my life and my decisions, I chose this. He pleaded, the scripture said, for someone to help his loved ones know Jesus. In this place called hell, his desire was, please, 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 you there, create a wake. Will you please create a wake where my loved ones will know God and find God and find freedom? Are you with me today? That was his desire. Here's what I believe, and I'll close with this. I believe one of the truest signs of a true believer is when we put emphasis on eternity. When our life is lived with emphasis for eternity. It doesn't make any sense that you work all week long and you come here on your day off on a Sunday morning and serve. It doesn't make any sense, but it only makes sense when it's the fact that you're a believer and your emphasis is on eternity. It doesn't make sense that, that we put on worship music and sing and worship and pour ourselves out to a God that we can't see. But it makes sense when we have an eternal mindset. How about when we get up and pray and we believe and we contend and we use our words. We pray over generations that God would steer them away from here to here. What are we doing? We're creating wake. And many of you are standing in great granny's prayers. You're standing in your parents' prayers. You're standing, the place that you're in now is because somebody was eternally minded over you and helped shift and move and steer because of the power of their prayer. What is that? That's being and living eternally minded. Can I get an amen today? Many people say, oh, but it's hard for me. It's so awkward to share my faith or say something. And I don't know. And I understand that that can be hard. I get it. But think about this. Is an awkward conversation worse than a lifetime of wondering or maybe regret that you should have gone over there and maybe said something and shared something and spoke something. Scripture says God's word doesn't come back void. Go up to somebody and share some of these truths, share some things in love. Like we heard last week, get up there and share something and God's word won't come back void. Are you with me? Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? Second Peter three, nine says this, it says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When we think about the murderer or the thief or the gangster or somebody who's messing up the community, you know, we think about all these people and we say things to each other like, boy, I hope they get what they deserve. Do you know that's actually not God's heart? God's heart is I hope they get repentance. I hope that they find freedom before it's too late. I hope that they don't perish. God's desire is for us to find our freedom and be in eternity with him. If you're here this morning and you say, man, pastor, I don't know if I've put my faith, hope, and trust in God. I don't know if I've acknowledged him as my savior and, and, and given my life to be a follower to him. I don't know that I've set my course toward eternity in heaven. What's amazing about the scripture is it always gives us our next steps. So Romans tells us what it's like to pray a prayer of salvation, to find that freedom, to set your course toward heaven. We find it here in Romans chapter 10, and then I'll lead you in a prayer that's built around this. But in Romans 10, 9, it says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from that place called hell saved from that separation of God and his glory in eternity. So if that's you here today or you watching online or you listening later and you say, I need to pray that prayer. I need and I want to put my faith, hope and trust in him. I want to create that wake. What we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer built around this passage 
Everybody in the room is going to pray it. We're going to repeat after me. But this scripture tells us if while you're praying it, you believe it in your heart and you mean it, like, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. The scripture says if you pray it, believe it, and say it, uh, that salvation is yours. So let's all pray this after me. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. I believe you sent your son Jesus and he died and rose again for me. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up to those that prayed that prayer. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, really cool thing we want to give you. Um, down the hallway past the coffee bar is our prayer room. And in that prayer room, we have a book called like Next Steps. And uh, it helps you with, okay, I prayed that prayer. I've set my mind on heaven, but what do I do now? And that book helps you with some of your next steps. And that's free to you. They want to give that to you. They're excited. Uh, they also have a Bible. Maybe you're like, I don't know where to start. You know, I don't have a Bible. They have a Bible they'd like to give you as well. So if you prayed that prayer, uh, make your way down to the prayer room and they'll take good care of you. And for all of us, tomorrow morning, our feet hit the ground. Go to the bathroom and then set your mind on eternal things. Set your mind on things of heaven and, uh, and let's do some earthly good. Amen.